the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Well, hi, everyone. Welcome to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. It is a Monday. It's a Monday. Just so Monday right now. I used the line on my son this morning. He had a hard time getting out of bed. I said, yeah. hey, bud, you got a case of the Mondays, man. And he it's was gonna... like, don't talk to me like that, pretty Dad. Pretty much. <laughs> he's like, don't ever say that again. <laughs> he's pretty much. He's like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, it's a, it's a, the Mondays are hard when it's also like rainy and like overcast. And yesterday was so nice. It really was. It just taunts us. It's why I can't. Really, I wanted to skip church. Right. I feel, <laughs> honestly, for our five p.m. service, I was like, the fact that you're here right now is a miracle because it is so nice out there. People are like, can we just have church outside? I was like, yes, let's just do that. That's the a five great o'clock idea. service on that day like that is otherwise known as those who suffer from guilt. <laughs> I missed the morning. We went to brunch. I guess we should swing it on by. It was gorgeous. This yesterday. is why I can't actually allow myself to fully appreciate the nice weather because in the back of my head, I'm like, I know it's about to get crappy. Yep, I just going. know it's, yeah. it's coming. It's a little glimpse inside my head. Today uh, today is like a Monday mixed with overcast. Is it, That makes for a tough one. That makes for Monday a Monday cast is what it is. There you go. Uh, there you you go. can find us all over the place, though, if you like, if you want more of our uh, depressing weather rants on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com, on Twitter at Common Good Talk, and wherever it is you get your podcasts. Lately, I don't know if something happened on Facebook, by the way. People have been reviewing the Facebook page. They have been. And that was like an element I completely forgot about. If that's your jam, that actually really does help us or out. And send us a message. Like, I think people, yeah. I mean, we read them, and it's like, oh, that's really helpful. That's this and that. Like, totally. we, uh, we do incorporate it, so we'd love to hear from you. All right, so there was a video floating around that we both saw of Meghan Markle in an interview. Do you want to set that up at all, or do you just let, let people hear it, and then we'll respond? You know, let me set up a little bit. You, okay. I'm sure out there, you know, Meghan Markle, she married Prince Harry yeah. a couple years ago. They've had a baby within the last year. Uh, and it was, uh, if you remember the wedding, right, it was kind of a fairy tale deal. She's an American. Everyone is always who's going to marry Prince Harry. And it's kind of like a made for movie. And you kind of live in this world, even though we all know uh, now that it's a lot darker sometimes with this paparazzi and stuff, you know, Princess Diana and all this stuff. Uh, you still are like, man, that must be like a fairy tale. And so uh, Meghan Markle opened up in an interview the other day in a way that was really telling. I saw on the day show today and so did Prince Harry, to be yeah, honest with right. you. It was really telling, and then the reaction to some of it has been both uplifting and discouraging, uh-huh. depending on which one you go. So, uh, really eye-opening, especially for those of us who are like, man, it must be the best to be right. British royalty. Totally. Never have to worry about a job or money or anything. It's got to be a really cool life. She kind of pulled the curtain back a little bit. Well, okay, so let's just listen to a little bit of that interview, and then uh, we'll respond. He's obviously very concerned about protecting you and protecting you from what he felt his mother went through. It's obviously an area one has to tiptoe into very gently, but I don't know what the impact on your physical and mental health of all the pressure that you clearly feel under. Um, I would say, look, any woman, when they're, especially when they're pregnant, you're really 
vulnerable and so that was made really challenging and then when you have a newborn you know Mm -hmm. it's a long time ago but I remember yeah yeah. you know and especially as a woman it's really it's a lot so you add this on top of just trying to be a new mom or trying to be a newlywed it's um yeah well I guess and also thank you for asking because not many people have asked if I'm okay but it's um a very real thing to be going through behind the scenes and the answer is would it be fair to say not really okay it's really been a struggle yes okay so what do you think what was the, what was your reaction the first time that you saw that because there's a lot going on that you can't you can't necessarily see when you're just hearing the audio but she's like she's clearly near tears yeah yeah clearly. absolutely and so uh, my first thought was, wow, like that, A, that's really open. Like she mm-hmm. has to be in a pretty bad spot, right? In order to, uh, do, she knows that that's going to go, everyone's going to see this. And uh, it was my first one, my first thought was kind of taken aback going, her line is almost haunting mm-hmm. when she goes, uh, thank you, nobody has ever really asked me that. And when right. you watch her face when she says that, it's it's really uh, genuine. She's yeah. going, no one has ever really seen that. And now there's reports coming out that, uh, Harry and Meghan are are probably going to take some time away mm-hmm. from. I didn't know you could take time away from being a royal, but they actually might come live in the states for a while or go live somewhere else. They're clearly, as a young married couple with a young baby, are really feeling like they're in a fishbowl, and right. it's, it's it's really disheartening to watch. It's kind of, it's. I felt very sad for them as I watched it. So, what what about this story in particular really resonated with you? Because there's a lot of elements. Let me just guess first. What I think might be standing off to you is. Not only it's the the importance of asking people how they're really doing, it is also the weird dichotomy of someone who's in the spotlight, mm-hmm. who often when people are in the spotlight, there is this innate pressure to pretend like you're much better than you actually yeah. are, right? Yeah. There's So some of that is self-imposed. Some of that is just the nature and system of spotlights, I think. Uh, obviously, as pastors, we don't fully understand this mm-hmm. to like the level and degree that she's experiencing, but I think we get a glimpse, right? There's a certain pressure like, oh gosh, I have to... Okay, I guess we're having a good day today, even though like I'm devastated right now, and we just screamed the whole way over here. Yeah. And there, you know, some of that is systemic and cultural. But like, what about her particular? I mean, it's a very tender response. It's very honest, but yep. she is close to tears. What What about this really resonated with you? I think uh, one of the things that resonated is to 99 percent of the world who would look at her life, uh, you would think it is like she has hit the lottery. Right. 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 So uh, take, for instance, this is what I said. There's like two different streams of responses to this. Mm-hmm. One of them, the hashtag was trending. We love you, Megan. OK, it's a great response. Right. Uh, somebody like Pierce Morgan, who uh, <laughs> from Britain. Uh, right. And uh-huh. he tweeted this today. He says, oh, please. What have Megan and Harry, quote, been through that even begins to compare with the very tough lives most people lead? This endless woe is me nonsense from two of the most privileged people in the world is absurd. There's a way we got to be honest. There is a stream of yeah. that where people are going, you never have to worry about your next paycheck. Right. You have palaces wherever you want. What could you be worrying about? And right. I think what really needs to resonate for us, kind of bringing it down to our lives, is you can't judge people by their circumstances. Right. Oh, wait, you've got the best job. Look at your family. Look at this. You've got to be doing great. And she's going, my life is crashing in around me. You can't watch that without going. She feels like her life is crashing in around her. Right. And Harry, too, later. Like, he yep. talks. It's the same deal. And right. you, it, it kind of shook me up to be reminded, okay, sometimes you got you can't just assume because people have a large bank account, big house, great-looking family, 
good marriage, whatever else, that all is well. We had the same talk when we were talking about the pastors who committed suicide. Right. You know, you don't look at them and just go, well, they've got it all together. They can't complain. Right. I think this has been a really eye-opening thing. And, and most people are looking at what she said and like, wow, this is eye-opening. And we've got to have kind of a, we have to expand our minds on this a little and bit. I, and I think that's just Pierce being it is. Pierce. I, I have to believe that some of that is a little bit for just shock value. True. But you wouldn't say it if you didn't believe there weren't people out there who also believed it. I, that's true. That's a good point. I do think it is a very flat, one-dimensional way to look at like wealth or success as the antidote to sadness or difficulty. It, I, I, I mean, it is pretty unfortunate that we still even have to fight that narrative that like, hey, just because they're millionaires... Obviously, they're not going to have the same struggles as yes. someone who's living paycheck to paycheck. Correct. But there's all sorts of like identity stuff swirled up in that. There's yep. all sorts of isolation. She clearly seems to feel like, man, a lot of people aren't even asking. That's the hard one. Right. And then maybe that's the challenge for this whole segment is just maybe it's worth a phone call. Maybe it's worth mm-hmm. texting that person whose name came to mind for no reason other than maybe God's laying them on your heart right yeah. now just to say, I don't know why, but I'm thinking about you. Are you okay? You want to get coffee? Like, That's a good point. I've been on the receiving end of some of those where they seemed apparently out of the blue, and there's no way that person could have known how yes. much I needed to hear from a friend. And uh, I don't know. I think that's always a good challenge that we can we can be that for other people. I, I not. In closing, I think what another thing that came out for you just touched on it in that interview was she sounds really lonely. She sounds yeah. really lonely, and that fishbowl of being a you know in the royal palace right. has to be really lonely. Hopefully, her friends are like on the phone. Let's get it. Yes. That's why I think she wants to come back to America, probably for some normalcy That's for right. a season. Hundred percent. Well, coming up next, unfortunately, we lost a really, really good one—a pastor to many, many pastors—and we're going to talk about and honor his life a little bit. That's coming up next on the Common Good on AM eleven sixty. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm, and I, I was just mentioning it. So this is the headline from Christianity Today. The loss of a hero to many, Pastor Lon Allison goes to be with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I imagine there are probably people listening who don't know necessarily who he is, but this this was, I mean, a pastor to pastors, yeah. I, the real deal in every sense of the word. People that knew him well, I have a, a couple of friends. I had only met him a couple of times, but I have friends who were like mentored by him and, you know, some call him kind of the, his spiritual father. And um, so, yeah, would you just catch us up on the, on the story itself? And then, uh, and then we'll get into his life a little yeah, bit. Yeah. Ed Stetzer wrote a great, a very moving tribute to him yesterday in Christianity Today. Uh, you can find it at ChristianityToday.com. And uh, I was really happy to see them write an article about Lana Allison uh, because, um He's not the he wasn't like the flashy celebrity type, right? He right. was just what you described him really well, a pastor of pastors. And so two years ago, this is this wasn't a sudden death. Two years ago, Lon Allison announced he was uh he was executive director at the Billy Graham Center at one point in his life. He was currently the teaching pastor at Wheaton Bible Church. Uh and he's told many different times he wrote a he wrote a book on Billy Graham. And uh Lon Allison, if you were especially in the DuPage County area, like when I was on staff at Glenelg Bible Church, we'd bring him in every mm-hmm. now and then and because he was such a captivating speaker. Uh two years ago he talked he went and made public a uh he got diagnosed with liver cancer and he was only given months to live uh, at the time. And so he almost died somewhat very publicly, right? It was out there. Mm-hmm. He was given months to live, but then uh he ended up living for two years. And so I think up until this last month, he was still going into the office, like still on staff. And um, and so a lot of people now are reflecting because you make a great point. He was, for many people, a pastor to pastors. But I think we also like to highlight these things when 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 
people like this pass away because it causes us to reflect upon our own lives right. and the people around us. With that in mind, let me read something Stetzer wrote here. wrote, in a world which screams at us to value many things, money, work, status, ability, those who were lucky enough to have crossed paths with Lon heard and saw a better and truer way, the way of Jesus. Mm. Lon's life was sold out to Jesus. His commitment to personal discipleship and evangelism were nearly without measure. He lived and breathed evangelism, and his heartbeat was that all would come to know and trust in him. His life made all those who knew him want to live differently. That's what heroes do. What an unbelievable tribute. Yeah, no kidding. So he, he writes later in the article, I just have to read this. He said, in May of 2018, I interviewed Lon on the exchange and asked him, not too long ago, you were diagnosed with an aggressive liver cancer and have been receiving treatment. How has this impacted your faith and the way you view God? Which I think is the question on a lot of people's minds when they face things like this, but they don't necessarily know how to ask the person this, yes. which is actually one of the things I love about Stetzer is that he knew that Lon would just knock this out of the park yes. and that it would also serve to pastor and encourage other people. So that's the question. You've just been diagnosed. How has this impacted your faith and the way that you view God? Uh, here was his response. Lon said, I have clung to two, two truths to sustain me. First is the sovereignty of God. The Lord has established his throne in heaven. His kingdom rules over all at Psalm 103.19. The second great truth is his love for me and my family. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. That's Ephesians 3.17-19. through the sovereignty of God means he has authority over the situation. He's allowed this cancer to strike me. Mm. He can cure it in a nanosecond or allow it to grow within me. He's in charge, and I deeply desire that he be glorified through it. The love of God reminds me of his goodness lavished upon me and mine with his love. He is not a tyrant God, not an absent God. His love is always present and extravagant. Those twin doctrines sustain mm. me. What a response. That's great. I mean, that that to me, I hope somebody listening right now who's, facing something that they don't know how to face yeah. or somebody has been diagnosed with something like that, that alone is like, that's a lifetime of a sermon right there. It and, really is. And that, that's the wisdom, I think, of perspective. That's someone mm. who's like seen some stuff, you know? Yeah, and I think that's really good stuff because like you said, he's li- he was living in the middle of that. That wasn't like a theoretical, how do you deal with hard times? This right. was like, yeah, no, I'm dealing with this every day I'm that in I the wake mid- up. It's not in the rear view, right? Exactly, every day that I wake up. And, uh, you know, for me, another thing about this is, it does always humble us to ask the question, um, if somebody wrote an article about us when it was all said and done, what's it going to say? Right. What's it going to say? I think it's the time to ask those bigger questions of your life because that can be sobering, but it's going to be true, whether it's an obituary or an article or whatever else. Right. People are going to gather and they're going to remember your life. They're going to talk about the impact you had on them. I would su- I would suspect that they're probably searching for a place to hold that's big enough to hold his funeral because mm-hmm. of the number of people who are going to want to be there. Uh, because he he breathed evangelism, he taught it, he breathed Jesus, he he lived it out for people. He was funny, he loved people, like he was a pastor's pastor. Right, and the the impact that he made on people's lives is going to that's what you're hearing right now. And so it does cause me to look at my own life and go, yeah, huh, I wonder what people are, are would say about me. And and that's an important question to ask. Uh, and it's a tricky one because sometimes I think that question can be asked with the expectation that you're going to leave this huge legacy, 100%. that you're going to go out in a blaze of glory, people are going to remember me, i got to write that book, i got to... And again, mm. the hustle isn't bad, that drive isn't bad. It makes me think of this uh, this passage from The Catcher in the Rye. It says, The mark of the immature man is that he wants to die nobly for a cause, but the mark of the mature man is that he wants to live humbly for one. 
Uh, I thought that was so really good. good, especially, and I got to say it, you know, for like the male ego, this like going out as a hero, it seems like it's just ingrained in our psyche and yeah. our culture, right? And he's saying, and this is, uh, to me, this is why I think Lon was so beloved. Mm. It was this, yeah, everyone wants to die nobly for something. The mark of maturity is willing to live humbly for one. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that. Like I even think of Jesus, who spent the first three decades in relative obscurity. That that flies in the face of all of our like climb the ladder up into the right kind of mentality. And and Lon just seemed to have this very different pace to him. Yeah, that felt like the pace of love. It just felt like this. Hey, when I'm not going, I'm not going anywhere right now. Like mm. I, I, you have my attention. Like that's yep. let's do life. Let's break bread. Let's have coffee. And I think we we just desperately need more of that. A hundred percent. And it's just fascinating because. It is interesting. I said this at the beginning of the segment. My first thought when I saw this article was like, oh, that's awesome, but also surprised that they wrote an article wrote about an article, him in right. Christianity Day because he's not the type of person that people usually wrote the articles about. Right. Uh, and that's too bad for us, right? Hmm. It says something to who we normally hold up and uh, do write the articles about. Uh, but my guess is, especially if you live in the Chicagoland area, if you weren't touched um, – spiritually and in an important way by Lon Allison, your pastor was and, uh, or people in your church were, he had that sort of impact, whether it be behind the scenes or from the pulpit, uh, that deserves to be, uh, applauded, uh, and deserves to be, uh, um, held up. He actually, a friend of mine was telling me apparently on the caring bridge, he died, uh, 9 30 AM on Sunday, Hmm. which is really funny for a pastor. Like yeah. there's some kind of funny like hmm. symmetry to that dying. And apparently his wife um, wrote on the caring bridge something to the effect of he didn't want to miss the service in heaven today. Oh, and I my thought, gosh. How cool is that? Wow. How great is that? I think the way that they've gone through this also has been such a huge testament to people. Well, and I, I hope people go and read the article, too, because I, I think I think you're spot on, too. It is easy. And I get that it all comes back to dollars and clicks, whatever. Yep. So, we, yep. you know, companies make money off of what articles get shared or clicks or likes. And so you celebrate the celebrities because more people know them. I really, really applaud Christianity today yep. for not just like mentioning it, but like writing something that I think 100%. is a really beautiful tribute. And I mean, it's doing it for you and I, it is causing us to really think about our own lives. Yeah. And hopefully that's having a, a trickle down effect for other people in leadership, other people in ministry who are, maybe you're a little obsessed with the hustle right now. Yep. Maybe you're a little too self-consumed. Maybe you're too focused and fixated on, up into the right and climbing the ladder, maybe it's uh, it's worthwhile to hit pause and kind of reevaluate mm-hmm. some stuff, which to me is, is always timely. Yeah. But in particular, when it's the passing of someone who just, you know, walks so faithful like this, I think that's always important. It's a good word. All right, well, coming up next, there's a, a new video that shows the moment that an Oregon school coach disarmed a gun-wielding student in the most surprising mm-hmm. way. You're not going to miss it. That's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. So that's a little David Bazan for you. And I his, did not know. Not only did I not know that was David Bazan, I don't know who David Bazan is. But you're saying his name correctly, so that's a step in the right direction. Just what you said. Yes. Maybe the saddest song on that record, though. And now I'm thinking about the lyrics of that song. <laughs> is it really sad? Yes. Okay. It's it's very sad. Although in his defense, I think the coaching I gave to John was mellow. So that that might have tipped into that was mellow <laughs> melancholy. Uh, John oh. John wants to weigh in. The exact word you used was chill. 
Oh. So I, in, I started the song. I didn't listen to it because I typed an instrumental. I hate removing vocals from songs. It's like, this is pretty chill. <laughs> now that I know it's like super sad, I'm like, all right, it's Well, you might chill. appreciate it. You should give it a listen. And then uh, a segment later, you can give us your feedback on the song. It's it's a weird thing. I really, really like sad music. I mean, I do too. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. Well, it's your dad's deal. <laughs> like, not only sad music. Sleeping at Last stuff is just like, you could tell he's in a place. Is this like segment merch. brought to you by Sleeping at Last? <laughs> Not really. I picture John, John's, like, John's like, I love to be sitting on the couch just holding a pillow and rocking, listening to the sad music. He's, he's grown his hair out, so it's just a swoop across his face. One he's, eye, one he's, eye revealed. He, he's yeah. total Spider-Man 3 right now. Just full. <laughs> listening. He went full emo and Full emo Peter Parker. Yeah. He's just counseling them with those clips of him. He's listening to REM, Everybody Hurts at All Times, just staring out the window. A little My Chemical Romance after that. Is he wearing skinny jeans over the Spider-Man costume? That's funny. All right, so uh, here's what's going on. A new video shows the moment that an Oregon school coach disarmed a gun-wielding student, but it does so in a really curious way. I saw this on Twitter. I don't know where you saw it. I think I saw it on Twitter as well. Can you fill us in a little bit on the kind of the setup, and then we'll get to how we actually disarmed him? It was chilling to see because uh, it, it is... Um, just a security camera, right, from right. within a school so just in a static Oregon, shot. right? So it's not like they're following it. You're, you're right. actually not seeing what's going on down the hall. Right, and right. something comes flying down the hall, and then all of a sudden you see kind of a, a little bit of a commotion, but then you just see what appears to be a teacher. We later find out is uh, an Oregon high school coach uh, by the name of Keenan Lowe. Uh, he's walking with a student. Uh, Angel Grenados Diaz, a 19-year-old. And what you can clearly tell is that uh, that Lowe is handing another teacher basically, I don't know, a shotgun, an AR-15, a something. And you're like, oh, this is like this is like a school shooting thing. Like at first when you see the video, you're like, I don't understand what's going on here. Yeah. Um, and clearly there was about to be yet another tragedy. There was about to be a school shooting here. Uh, but that's when it takes a very interesting turn that you want to tell us about. Yeah, I mean, you see it in the video, too. It's kind of amazing, actually, that this scene was captured on the surveillance footage. You you, you see the coach just embrace him. Yeah. And it is for an almost uncomfortably long time. Yeah, he and just holds them. And there's no audio, which is almost all the more haunting, to be honest. But I watched it like three or four times, actually, because it was yeah. just so you could tell, you know, at the beginning of the video, there's like understandable chaos and panic and someone's like falling down the hallway or something like it is it's clearly tense. And uh, I think watching that embrace felt, gosh, if honestly, it felt like something out of a movie. And it was interesting, too, because, again, like Twitter often is like half the responses were really tender, mm-hmm. really sweet. The other half, as you can imagine, Less than tender. And I'm always amazed at that. Like yeah. this shooting was prevented and yet we it's still we can still find something to troll in yeah. this in this video. But I yeah, what was the video like watching for you? It was uh you know what, it really puts uh some reality to what we always read about, right? Like to see him in a school and you're right, it is it he hugs him for an uncomfortable amount of time. Yeah. And the kid just starts he starts crying appears to cry. Again, right. there's no audio. Right. He appears to be crying and uh it, obviously the kid did get arrested and it says here that a judge sentenced him to thirty six months of probation as well as immediate mental health and substance abuse treatment. Uh Multnomah County De- Deputy District Attorney uh Paracram Singh said through the course of the investigation, uh we believe uh 
law enforcement in our office believes that that the young man did not have the intent to hurt anyone other than himself. But uh, so this might have been a suicide situation. But whether that's mm. true or not, mm. the coach didn't know that in that moment. Right. Right. Like there, the the heroism of this coach to but also the compassion. Like it strikes me as so heroic and also at the same time so compassionate. He was bigger than the kid. He could have just tackled the kid and beat right, the tar out of him. Right. Sure. And on, honestly, that wouldn't have been inappropriate in that setting uh, where you thought that he was about to shoot other people. It highlights also uh, just the uh, the struggle of mental health issues, right? Like this kid, 19-year-old, who either wanted to end other people's lives and or his own life uh, by just being broken, then being hugged by this coach and just weeping, like you did – in a weird way, this 19-year-old was going to wreak total havoc. And by the end of this silent video, you're like, my heart breaks for that kid. Right. Like right. My heart breaks for that 19-year-old. I hope he gets what he needs. And, man, the true definition of a hero is this coach. Yeah, and I wonder why you think people still responded. Some people responded really negatively to it. Like, what's 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 the thing behind that? Like, why why would someone be so inclined? Or what's the feel negative about, I guess? Maybe showing compassion to a kid that looked like he was about to shoot a school up. Yeah. Probably. That's my guess. Like, why are we showing that kid compassion? What Uh about, uh, again, playing devil's advocate, not how I feel. I'm just guessing. Right. It feels like a, he doesn't deserve compassion. That kid deserves to get his head banked against the wall until Mm. the cops come and arrest him and haul him off. Right, right, right. Whereas this teacher, this coach, like you said, if you've never watched the video, go watch it. Uh, I don't know. Maybe we'll put it on our Facebook page. Like, it's uh, the amount of compassion he shows is it's striking. Yeah. It's striking. And he doesn't just hug him like a bear hug so he can't get away. Right. It, it's clearly a compassionate hug. So my guess is anybody who's going to see negative in this is going to see the negative as uh, that kid lost his his right to any compassion the moment oh, he walked okay. into a school with a loaded weapon. Sure. Uh, he's still in trouble for it. Right. He's still getting, but hopefully he gets what he needs. And we could see that this was more... Hopefully, uh, a a turning point in this kid's life, a little bit of a cry for help. So most of us are never going to be put in a situation where we're having to tackle or hug a yep. gunman. But like, what are the ways that this translates? This is there a, is there a lesson or a takeaway or something to respond? Like, I think even with you know with my kids now, my eldest sometimes can be he can he just has a meltdown. His nose mm-hmm. going on, and it's amazing how often my impulse is anger. Just stop, stop yep. doing that thing. And I'm finding if I can get past that and just embrace him or just look him in the eye, right? It's not a magic cure. Sometimes kids are just having mm-hmm. meltdown. Mm-hmm. But I'm mm-hmm. I'm actually finding, and it's been pretty humbling, like how well he responds to, mm-hmm. like one of the things that we've been working on, me and him, is I, I put my hand on his chest and I take deep breaths and I like coach him through. And he's not even two yet. And he'll kind of just go... <sighs> Oh, really? And he, like, starts yeah. to calm down a little bit. And I was like, man, that's so much. I want to be that dad, not the scream when I lose my temper yeah, dad yeah, or when good. you're freaking out about whatever thing that, you know, some might even say Ian's justified to yell at him right now. But yep. I'm like, I don't want that to be my go-to, you yep. know? Yep. No, I totally get that. That's good. Because I do know at home, uh, if my kids, if there's a little bit of tension, whether it's between two kids or a kid and I or whatever, um, they usually match my level of intensity. They'll <laughs> like, match yours. Yeah, like if oh. I come in, if I come in all hot and angry, uh, they don't usually back down. Got they it. Will, they will. They like, might. Right, they, might not, they might not yell at me, but they're going to do something. They're going to stomp off. They're going to 
you know, whereas if I show a little bit of compassion, a little yeah. bit, obviously there's a there's an end to that. Sure, but if I if I come with compassion and love, they it usually takes the situation down. Mm. And so I do think that's a great call in our homes, but also in these public places. I just think this guy's heroic because man, if I saw a kid. Uh, with a gun, my first thing, there's that moment you go, run or go? Like, what am I going to do? Yeah, and, right. And right. I don't, we don't know what happened in that hallway beforehand, but right. just the fact that he went for the kid is unbelievable. Yeah, and I think that's another one of those things that something in his training yes. made him prepared for that moment, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's easy for us to always think, oh, I would totally act heroic in that moment, which is so easy to pontificate on yep. when you're never faced with. This is why, not to get too preachy, this is why like habits and disciplines mm-hmm. are so important so that like the point of learning to, you know, throw a free throw is not to just do it, but it's so when the pressure's on, yeah. you got the mechanics down. This coach clearly had some level of like, if this ever were a case, this is what this I is how I respond. Mm-hmm. That's really good. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, coming up next, it is Monday. And one of the things that at least Brian and I like to do, I don't know if anyone else does necessarily, <laughs> uh, is to ask and talk a little bit about what we preached yesterday. Get into the head, the crazy, scary place, the head of a pastor the day after he preached. And so that's coming up next right here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Okay, so John really likes that song, but he I just really like he just song. pointed at me like twice because he was getting into the song. <laughs> you were going to talk, but each time I thought it was like him giving me the go ahead. We that, that was very confusing. <laughs> That's funny. That's <laughs> he like did funny. this, and then he did this, and I was like, "Wait, is that is he pointing? No, no, no he's no, just he's into the song. He's just getting his soul on. I guess I caught it. I'm like, wait, wait, no, I'm shooting. I can't do. That. I'm doing hand motions, I'm doing, <laughs> which is bad because they start talking when I do hand motions. <laughs> we are sort of like. Pavlov's dog a little we bit. We are. You, you pointed us, we'll talk. We will start talking until you cut us off. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> wife points at me and start talking. <laughs> you ding a bell, start salivating <laughs> yeah. immediately. Did you ever see the office clip? So, I'm sorry. This is no, go right ahead. Did you yes. like the office? Did you ever see the office clip where Jim uh, did the whole Pavlov's dog thing where every time anything yes. dinged, he gave a thing to a Dwight? Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that show. <laughs> my kids are... Uh, my kids are just getting into the office, so I'm getting to experience it all over again. It still them. translates to them, though? Oh, they love it. That's a good, that's a sign of good parenting right there. Thank you. All right, so it is Monday. Uh, most of you are aware of that. It's also <laughs> a strange day for pastors. Uh, for a lot of pastors, we preached yesterday, and uh, it, it, can, it can be just a weird day following uh, the delivering of a sermon, something that you've been not only working on, but kind of poured yourself into. So we like to spend a little time talking not just about what we preached, but also mm-hmm. how do we feel about it, what resonated, what wasn't clicking, kind of get behind the curtain a little yeah. bit. So uh, why don't you kick us off this time? I'm going to kick us off Daniel chapter 5. All right. So we are, if you've been listening to us at all, we are uh, slowly but surely making our way through the book of Daniel, which I'm really enjoying. I realize sometimes when you preach more, I don't know, uh, Old Testament especially, but some obscure books, you realize, I really didn't know this book very well, even though I got a Bible degree. And right, right. Uh, so I've enjoyed going through the studies. And so Daniel chapter 5 is another one of these crazy stories. It's the handwriting on the wall chapter. Oh, yeah. And uh, and so... Wait, uh, for people that don't know what that is, set, set that up a little bit. Okay. That, that might not be clear to everybody. Yep. We're 20 years after the death of, uh, of Nebuchadnezzar and... Uh, Belshazzar is now on the throne and he's throwing just a complete debauched party. Right, uh, right. Idolatry, all sorts of stuff. And when out of the blue, as they're having this party, literally a hand appears <laughs> and starts writing on the wall and nobody knows what it's writing. Like they can't figure it out. And they're all drunk, I'm they assuming. Are, so like, is that a hand on the wall? Like, is that, and the, but it's, I love the, like, the, the, the little details. It's like, and he was really frightened. You're like, no kidding. Yeah. 
<laughs> There's a hand writing on the wall. Right. And so finally, long story short, they finally bring Daniel in, and Daniel basically says, hey, the handwriting says you're about to die. Like, this is... You, Yikes. You've Yikes. gone too far with this idolatry and this blasphemy. Mm. And then he dies that night at the hands of the Medes and the Persians. Oh, snap. And, uh, and then... So what I wanted to talk about was because the struggle could be like, okay, what do you do with this story? But I think think there's two really important things that happened to the Babylonians uh, that I do think are applicable. And it's interesting. One of them really stood out. I've gotten a lot of response from people. One of them is from the end of chapter four to the beginning of chapter five is like 20 years. And you're really struck by how much stuff they've forgotten. Mm. It doesn't even appear that Belshazzar knows who Daniel is. Like at the end of four, oh, Daniel's being totally held up. He's right. A, and then chapter five, Belshazzar has to be told by the queen mother, hey, there's this guy named Daniel. Go Interesting. Get him. And they also seem to have forgotten everything Nebuchadnezzar went through at the end of four, where he gets kind of transformed. And some scholars are literally say he was converted. Hmm. Like he's like, I praise the God of heaven. And then in the beginning of chapter five, like Daniel who? Full <laughs> blasphemy again. And I said, you know what? We're very forgetful people. The Bible's always saying, remember, 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 right. especially when times are good where we start to forget. And so I talked about the need to remember and to pass on uh, the stories. And there's an interesting line in uh, Deuteronomy when Moses is saying this basically to the Israelites. Hmm. He doesn't he says that they're, they're they will forget. But then he also talks about uh, that it fades. And, and I said, I think most of you aren't going to turn your back on the faith. Most of you, most of us, it'll just fade. It'll just fade away. That's good. So I talked about that. And then I just talked about the arrogance, the mm. arrogance of Belshazzar yeah. and the Babylonians to go, oh, no, we're, we got this all together again and we can just do this. They believed in the walls that were around. Oh, right. And basically historians tell us the Persians went under the walls uh-huh. by a really cool method. Uh, and so I basically talked about are we, we we must remember and not forget, and we must be humble and not be arrogant. I enjoyed it. Got a lot of great feedback and uh, enjoying Daniel, the book of Daniel. That's awesome. Thanks, man. How about you? So we uh, kicked off a new series called Breakthrough, and uh, I was talking about Chicago as a city of breakthroughs. I okay. talked about, uh, you know, we had the first Ferris wheel. I don't know if you know when the first Ferris wheel was built, we by the way. We had the first Ferris wheel. Yeah. 1893 introduced to the World's Fair. Uh, I showed the picture of it. It's terrifying. Um First skyscraper, the home insurance building built in 1884, stood a whopping 10 stories. Mm. That was the first skyscraper. And then I talked about the Chicago hot dog. And then everyone turned on me because yeah. I said, sometimes I like to put a little ketchup on that hot uh, dog. That's all I put on my hot dog. The whole. Oh, really? Absolutely. Oh, neither of us are from here. Yep. I was. I'm going to get you the audio. That room turned on me <laughs> so fast. I was like, well, that's awesome. I have to skip town now because it was. So we were kind of talking about how we love, you know, this idea of breakthrough. And so we're going to take this long six week journey in the book of Acts. So we began, you know, with Jesus post resurrection and he's shown himself to a bunch of people for 40 days. There's kind of 120 people who have gathered. He says, all right, you're going to receive power. Not just here, but to the very end of the yes. earth. And then he ascends. And everyone's like, wait, what? Yep. <laughs> I need more information. Yep. What are you doing? And then two angels appear and they're like, what are you doing? Looking up at the sky, to which I would say, did you see what we just saw? <laughs> like, of course. So they go back and wait. And then we get the day of Pentecost and there's the tongues of fire. Yes. And there's a lot of details I'm skipping over. But it's this transformative event, which is funny. Here's sort of the, uh, the correlation to yours. There's all this commotion because all these people are now speaking in different languages. Yeah. So all the neighboring people came by and they're like, is this like a frat party? Are you all drunk? <laughs> and I love, I love that Axe includes this because Peter goes, they're not drunk. It's nine in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> I do love that. It's like, I love that that made the cut. That's true. Yeah. So they kind of followed the journey a little bit. You know, at Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the teaching, to the breaking of bread, to the apostles. Yep. I just think that as a glimpse of like, this is what the church was. Yep. All this other stuff we've added is nice. This is what it is. Right, yeah. right here. Yeah. So 
So then we talked about some various different encounters um, in the early church and what it looked like to be a people of prayer. One of the things yeah. that I kind of kept saying was, we want a breakthrough in our life, but mm. are we willing to actually wait and pray for it? That's good. Like, we're just a people of immediacy. I can't imagine post-resurrection being told, all right, now go and pray. Mm. I'd be like, no, no, no. No, no we got something it's to do. It's time for action. Right. You actually pulled off the impossible. I'm not interested in waiting anymore. And the thing that kind of most convicted me, I think, in this talk is this encounter between Peter and John, where they're dragged before the Sanhedrin. After spending a night in prison, they're, they're brought before the council, mm-hmm. and they're threatened, and so you got to stop preaching in that name. And they're both like, mm, hard pass, hard yep, pass. Yep, so yep. they report back to the people. And then what they pray blows my mind. I never noticed this before. What they pray for is boldness, mm-hmm. miracles, and signs and wonders. Mm. If I just spent a night in prison and then was threatened by like the most powerful religious supergroup to stop preaching, I'd be praying for mm, protection. Yes. <laughs> uh, traveling mercies <laughs> and they're like nope god give us more boldness yes and do stuff in our midst that blows people's minds that we couldn't possibly take credit for that's huh. what they prayed for in response to these threats and i thought that's the kind of prayer that i want for us to be praying as a church mm. god would you give us greater courage and would you do stuff that we couldn't possibly even dream to take credit for that's yep. so beyond us and then we actually walked people through a time of just praying what, what, what what's the thing that you want god to break through in your own life What's the thing that you're praying that God would break through in someone else's life? Let's let's just be a people Mm. that make prayer and listening and silence a real discipline. Because, you know, when the day of Pentecost happened, they had no idea it was going to be Pentecost. They were just doing what they always did. They were just gathered praying as Jesus told them to do. And I said, what if we went back to that? What if we actually became a people that gathered and prayed? So that was kind of our whole challenge. And uh, it was a really... It was strange because it was a talk that I felt very shaky going into. Oh, why is to that? be honest, I don't know. You, sometimes don't you feel is like it? you have a gut feeling? Hundred percent. You like what? You go into it. Some days or some weeks, you're like, "This one feels good." Yep. Going into this one, I just felt shaky, and some of the feedback we got was really encouraging. Times when I feel the most shaky, those turn out to be the best. And not wild like, when I'm like, "I'm hilarious today. <laughs> I've got great history. I'm going to nail this. Like, there's going to be a revival that ends, and you're like." Hello? Whoops. Hello. <laughs> Is this thing on? It's really interesting the way that happens. So that's great, man. Well, speaking of preachers <laughs> and pastors and the church. And shakiness. And sh- <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, no, no one knows why we're laughing yet, but uh, John MacArthur has been kind of blowing up the interwebs this weekend for some comments that he made about Beth Moore. And the response has been just enormous so we're going to actually talk a little bit about what he said what some of our responses are what maybe the church's way forward is and a whole lot more coming up next on the common good on am 1160 hope your life it's time for a conversation about the things we share in common our common hopes our common fears our common struggles Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, but Brian Fromm is actually not here right now. I I am here. Oh, I am here. Where did you come from? Been sitting here the whole time. Oh my gosh, I'm so embarrassed. I haven't moved. Please, please forgive me. Brian yeah. Fromm, well, welcome back to the show. It's good to have you <laughs> back. You didn't leave at all. I'm so no. sorry. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash the common good or wherever it is you get your podcasts. And I don't know how big a news this was outside of like 
Christian culture stuff. So I, I don't want to assume everyone is totally caught up to speed. But John MacArthur was making some waves this weekend uh, involving some comments he made about Beth Moore. Why don't you set up this clip and then, and then we're we'll going to talk about it a little bit. Yeah, and I think it's a little more widespread because of the nature of social media. I had a buddy at church yesterday be like, what's up? What happened to John MacArthur? What was that deal? Yeah. And he right. didn't really know what had oh, happened, he didn't. but okay. just he knew that something had got happened. Got it. Got it. So John MacArthur, well-known evangelical pastor, um, yeah, author, all that kind of stuff, uh, at, hosted a conference called Truth Matters, the Truth Matters Conference, October 16th through 18th at his church, Grace Community Church. One of the things was to celebrate that he's now had 50 years in the pulpit uh, as of this week. And uh, there, what you're going to hear is kind of an MC and and uh, John MacArthur and Phil. We don't know who Phil is, but Phil's up there. <laughs> Go uh, Phil. And we've all been in these conferences where you could see they're almost, it's like a question and answer or like an interview format. And it's almost jovial. The, the narrator or the uh, the MC is kind of like, hey, we're going to play a game. I'm going to give you a word and you or I'm going to give you something and you give me one word back or two words back. It's right. kind of that. And you expect it to be funny, right? right like, hey, right. the word is coffee. And they're right. like, oh, right. whatever. Uh, so that's the setup. Uh, picture guys on a stage, uh, narrator kind of trying to get the crowd and getting everyone in talking to John MacArthur and uh, Phil. The word is Beth Moore. That's two words. <laughs> Liberalist. All right. Dr. MacArthur, Beth Moore. How many words do I get? You know, actually, and, and before you answer this, please think carefully this time, because last time you did a one-word association, the guy wrote a book a about trouble. it, and we don't want that. I was thinking of the same word. Okay. Go home. <laughs> well, I, I see we're warmed up. <laughs> I dilly-dally. Phil, anything to add? So let's pause there. I mean, yeah. it's so this was flying around, and it, there's a couple things that stand out, and we'll hear what you think stood out there. <laughs> the couple things that stand out is just the uh, kind of the boys club divisive nature derisive Ugh. derisive would be a better word just ugly nature man. of that like ugly um again we've all been in settings where you say stuff behind closed doors but this was a conference that even an excuse saying stuff behind closed 100%, doors either. thank you for pointing out that's not what i'm saying but you could be like well this wasn't supposed to get out that's still a bad thing yes especially, especially for ministry world, leaders in this world that we live Ugh. in uh sorry but but to to talk about somebody like beth moore who, regardless of what you think about her, un- un- um, unquestionably has bore much fruit in in countless number of people's lives, not just women, men and women's lives for years and decades. Uh, she's not there, right. right? Like, that's what stood out to me. It's not like Beth Moore is on the stage and the guy's like, Hey, John MacArthur, I've got a funny one for you. Tell us what you think of Beth Moore. And she's there like, ha ha, and Beth right. Moore. Here's your word, John MacArthur, right? Ha ha, like this right. back and forth. It's also not a roast either. Exactly. She has no, she's not there. She probably didn't even know this conference was going on. Beth Moore has become kind of a straw man for people like John MacArthur and others. But it's just embarrassing. It's, it's really hard. Yeah. So there's more, though, if yep. you can believe it. Yep. That was part of it. I'm going to withhold my comments till the very end, if that's okay. Well, why don't you play the rest and then you jump right in? That sounds great. 
No, I, the word that comes to my mind is narcissistic. I, I think the first time I saw her, I thought, she she is, this is a, going back to the last session of what Mike said, this is what it looks like to preach yourself rather than Christ. All right. And she, in uh, fact, she has said that. She said, I read the Bible and I try to find myself in the narrative. I put myself in the narrative. And that, that is exactly what she does. I would just add one thing. Um, just because you have the skill to sell jewelry on the TV sales channel doesn't mean you should be preaching. There are people who have certain hawking skills, um, natural abilities to sell. They have energy and personality and all of that. Um, that doesn't qualify you to preach. Dr. McCarth. We've done this a number of times. And I've asked you a number of questions on pretty broad-ranging issues. I'm perceiving this is actually troubling you. Profoundly troubling me because I think the church is caving in to women preachers. Um, just the other day, the same thing happened with Paula White. A whole bunch of leading evangelicals endorsed her new book. She's a heretic and a prosperity preacher, three times married. And what what are they thinking? The Me Too movement, again, is the culture reclaiming ground in the church. When the leaders of evangelicalism roll over for women preachers, the feminists have really won the battle. Um, the primary... The, the primary the primary effort in feminism is not equality. It's not they don't want equality. That's why ninety nine percent of plumbers are men. They don't want equal power to be a plumber. They want to be senators, preachers, congressmen, president, the power structure in a university. They want power, not equality. Um, and this is this is the highest Location they can ascend to that power in the evangelical church and overturn what is clearly scriptural. So I, I think this is feminism gone to church. This is why we can't let the culture exegete the Bible. I mean, I'm just dumbfounded. I'm so disappointed, but that doesn't even begin to describe. Like, I, I'm familiar with MacArthur. It's not... You can disagree on these doctrinal positions. We could argue that all day long. It right. just lacks tact and class and i think you know who didn't tell women to go home jesus right right i don't even know what he meant by go home you and i were like does it mean like i don't go, even go work i don't in even the home know this but it's but yeah. the second the second century early church is described as being filled with yep. women and children why because it was the one place in society where they were cherished and loved and cared for and an equal footing and like it's what makes i think the gospel of jesus so scandalizing and so scandalous but this I don't, and, and you mentioned earlier, just it's not just the people on the stage, it's the laughing in the crowd. It's the, and I, I would hope that somebody that was there later that night thought, I shouldn't have laughed at that. Yep. I participated because of this, pre because of this environment. But it just felt like this old boys, which uh, to me, honestly, you know what it really sounds like? Fear. It does. It sounds like fear. And I'm not saying you have to agree with everyone theologically and everything all the time at all. And I'm not saying we shouldn't totally call out people that are like, nope, that's not the gospel of yep. Jesus Christ. Yep. Everyone that I know that knows Beth Moore personally, though, talks about how much he loves Jesus. One of the crazy things to me in that that just hit me as I was listening to it was he likened her, likened her to Paula White. The, the issue with Paula White, 
for me is not that she's a woman. It's that she's uh, theologically uh, way off the same way as if her name was Paul White and had written the exact same book right. and lived the exact same way. That's it's clever. not about, thank you. It's not about her being a woman. It's about her being uh having bad theology yeah. and nobody would ever look at Beth Moore, whether it be her studies or her teaching and go, Oh, that's Paula White right there. Yeah. There's only one thing that's the same between Paula White and, and uh, Beth Moore. It's that they're women. Totally. That, that's where it ends. There's a lot of men, a lot more like Paula White than Beth Moore is. Yeah. Yeah. That's for sure. And I mean, not to hit it too on the nose, but like without women preachers, we would have never heard of the, the resurrection, mm-hmm. you know, like you want to really get down to like the different and it's, and there's good scholarly work. Scott McKnight is one of them. Who's done a lot of work and like, helping people better understand what did these roles actually look like in the first century. Some of these, I think, unfortunate readings of biblical text. And again, there's a way to disagree with these things yes. and not do what they did. And that's why there's some great complementarian churches out there of people who 100%. Yes. These are the people and these are the churches that cause other people to be like, see, complementarianism yes. is just about power and just about. Right. Because you can't listen to that clip and go, yep, this is about like that's you can't walk away from that without going. Right. This is about power and keeping certain people out. Well, OK, so I think we need a palate cleanser after that. <laughs> that does that seem fair? Yes. All right. So you brought this to my attention. I, I know did. that you love that there's a calendar day for everything now. Love it. Just like a Doesn't real grind my brings you so much joy. Uh, well, today is back to the future day. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about not only the movie, because it's fantastic, mm-hmm. but uh, what would you do, Brian Fromm, if you could go back in time? Mm-hmm. We're going to tackle that hard-hitting topic coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Oh, my goodness. This is the coolest I've ever felt. <laughs> right here. It's a low bar. Just let's just bask in this for yeah. I, we've not been we've not come back via orchestral music before, have we? This is boom. There's something this is nice. This is I like it. Do you feel like this is gonna elevate the content of what we're gonna say? Probably. You Probably think so? make us smarter. Older. I feel smarter. Where'd you get that <laughs> monocle from? You bring that top hat in here? Uh, that's fine. It's like I, I now have a PhD <laughs> out of nowhere. I have a PhD. <laughs> All right, so uh do you think people didn't recognize that music? Does it need an introduction? It does. I didn't recognize that music. Get out. 100%. What do you mean you didn't recognize that music? I didn't recognize that music. Are you a Back to the Future fan? I mean, I've seen the movies, but I'm oh, not. Oh, no. Like, yeah. Oh, I wouldn't no. call myself. I like the movie, so I'm a fan of the movie, but I think when you say fan, you mean something bigger than that, and so the answer mm. to that is no. Okay, well, that was Back to the Future, and today is Back to the Future so you Day. would have recognized that as Back to the Future music. Yes, and I think even our uh, our 14-year-old producer, John, would have... Right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's so mad. He's so mad right now. He's not 14. 16. He's 20... Yeah. Okay, I get it. It's not even like as popular as the Star Wars theme, but even people who haven't even oh, seen Star angry. Wars know he, the Star Wars theme. I know it's the Star Wars theme. theme. I know. I so, oh, look what you did to him. I'm so sorry that Brian Fromm's back is to John. I wish you could have seen him just having a meltdown in the booth. He was he was like full Larry David just then. Full Kirby enthusiasm. I'm going to go. I think most people would say that the Star Wars theme is a lot more well known than yeah, the Back to the Future theme. That. He said that. That's exactly what he said. I yeah. led with that. <laughs> Wow. You got it. You got him thrown off here. Oh man, that's this is uh, this is fodder for Grindsman Gear of the week. Let's get it back is. to it. <laughs> you called him what fourteen? <laughs> that's a good point. That part. Let's play. I'm not even that mad at that. <laughs> 
His voice just got higher. You got him. This is the most unhinged we've I know. ever been. Must be Monday. Let's just keep going. We could go for another no, seven that's minutes. That's not a good baiting idea. Him, baiting him. Baiting <laughs> him. Don't take the bait, John. Do I'm it. just yeah. He's he's muted himself. I'm that's gonna smart. edit stuff. <laughs> that's understandable. All right. So uh, it is back to the future day. Yes. Which you have mentioned, sort of anecdotally, the fact that we have a day for everything now. Does kind of grind your gears a little it, bit. It bothers me. It does, what, okay, let's talk briefly now, this about this. Is more that. of a hashtag, but right, like this is. I'm more talking like the Hallmark thing, where it's oh, like right. National Daughter Day, National Sunday, National Bagel Day, National This Day, and like they're really kind of made by like you know that National Ice Cream Day was probably made by Dairy Queen. I'm so happy. To, I, I'm happy to oblige. I though. partake. <laughs> I partake, but it feels like now we've kind of jumped the shark a little bit. Everything's got a day. Well, but, so why why is today Back to the Future Day? Because in the movie. When uh, Michael J. Fox, what's his name in the movie? I don't even know. Marty McFly. Marty McFly. I did know that. No, now that you said it's, that, I know that. It's Luke Skywalker. Do you know, I no longer, this is no longer true, but when I was younger, mostly because I'm short and because we had similar hairstyle, uh, people used to tell me, do you have one where people, are, most people would say, you look like this person? Was there a person that they would say that about for when, you? When I was a kid or right now? Kind of anywhere along the line. I don't want to say because the people that people will say I look like are so much more attractive than I am. Well, then let me t- I got Michael J. Fox all the time, and I was oh. like, what? What? But so who'd you get? Come on, give us one. I don't want to say. Just one. Come on. We had a student approach me when I started at the Yellow Box, and she said, <laughs> she said, you look like Jake Gyllenhaal oh. if he never, ever worked out. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a compliment? I'm like, I'll take it. I'll, I'll take I'll, it. I'll atrophy, Jake Gyllenhaal. I'll take it. To the point that my, uh, I was dating my uh, future wife. So I was dating Carrie, and there was a story where we were dating, and her mom saw a movie in which Michael Michael J. Fox kissed a woman and got <laughs> mad at me. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. Wow. Okay, that's pretty interesting. I believe that story is, is true. Uh, but anyway, Back to the Future in the movie, Marty McFly mm-hmm. sets uh, the future date in the car that he's going to go to. To uh, It's the year 2015. He sets it to October the 21st, which is today. Uh, so he set it for October 21st, 2015. And so since then, it has become known as Back to the Future Day because this mm-hmm. is the day Marty McFly came to. And so I thought it'd be fun to say on Twitter, there is a hashtag Back to the Future Day going around. And so I wonder if you could go back in time to anything in your life, if you could go back to something in your life to either experience again or tell yourself, hey, I don't want you confessing major sin here, but like, <laughs> hey, like, hey, maybe don't take this so seriously or maybe do this differently. If you could go back in time uh, to uh, to any point in your life, what would it be? Uh, before I answer that, can I give a couple of fun facts about the movie, please? Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> okay, first, the role of Marty McFly was originally portrayed by Eric Stoltz. I don't know who that is. It's right. No one does. Wow. So Michael Eric J. Fox was doing, on that he, he was doing Family Ties. They actually started filming with him. And wow. I just watched a documentary on this. You were making fun of me. This you is did tell, now it's so funny you start saying this. I'm like, uh-huh. I feel like someone just told me this, <laughs> this the other me. day. Let me just run through a couple others because these are so fun. The film was almost called Spaceman from Pluto. Nope, bad name. <laughs> Doc was originally going to own a pet chimp. 
No way. So the role of Biff improvised some of his signature catchphrases. Ronald Reagan loved the movie. Huey Lewis made a small cameo appearance in the film. Christopher Lloyd had to hunch over in order to play Doc because he was too tall. The iconic DeLorean time machine was almost a Ford Mustang. I see. I love this stuff. There's like 18 other websites with all sorts of... The script was rejected over 40 times by every major studio. Wow. That's a whole other sermon illustrated. Disney execs thought it was too dirty, which is understandable if you really think about it. Yep. yep. John Mulaney's got a really funny bit about it, but it is... Super inappropriate. But that's not what you're asking. You want to go spiritual. You okay. want to get Yeah, but real serious. fast, okay. you, a podcast for you. Yeah. Uh, on the Ringer podcast network, there's one called The Rewatchables. Oh. And they'll do movies. And it'll be like an hour, hour and a half. And like they'll they'll just tear the movie apart in a good way. <laughs> like in a good way. But then they'll also I love be like, it. He, they'll, they'll have one that's called like Picking Nets, where like this doesn't make sense in the no. movie. But they'll do another one called Crazy Internet uh, Research, and they'll go through all those things like casting, who was this, and it, you'd love you'd Really? Like it. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so now to your question with the remaining 12 seconds. There we you have, go. There uh, you go. Go, back can, go back in time yep. and change anything. Not necessarily change. You could go tell yourself something or go experience something again, any of it. Honestly, the first thing that comes to mind, which is ironic why we do a radio show, I'd say talk less. Just talk less. I I think back to like the spazoid, overly hyper, always trying to like make something out of nothing, which was sometimes eh, that guy was fun to be around. Yeah. I just talked too much. I would have I would have told him, man, you need to learn to listen a little more. Mm. And I think when I look now at like the men and women who have mentored me that I admire a lot now that I'm in my 30s, I'm like, what's the common trait between them? Oh, they listen. Yeah. They listen really well. They shut their mouths. They don't always have to offer their thoughts or their opinions. Again, it's ironic that we're preachers in, and teach, on the radio. radio so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that's that's just one that's that I, I always kind of come back to. Do you have one that uh, that rings true? Yeah, there were two when I was thinking about this. The first is now that I have kids who are like just experiencing life, I kind of wish I could go back to when I was ten or twelve just to be reminded what it was like. Hmm. <laughs> like you kind of forget what it was like to be kind of in the moment and carefree. Uh, but I think I'd go back to kind of my high school self and be like. Hey, uh, like, enjoy this time. Don't take it so seriously. Like, Mm. you know, you don't have to have a girlfriend and you don't have to get an A on everything. And you don't have to do this. Like, high school is going to be a cool time that you look back on. Right. And, you know, when you're in the moment, it's why, you know, one of the darkest statistics you always hear is that, like, they think a lot of people commit uh, suicide in high school because they can't see past high school. Right. This is everything that life is. And I totally get that. I wish I could go back. And I had a great time in high school. It would be like, hey, high school, Brian, like, like, this time's really fun. Like, Mm. this is good. Enjoy it. Do your work. Do this. But be present. Be present. Enjoy it. Uh, I think that would be one. And uh, yeah, I I do. Um, going back to those times that now looking back seem a lot more carefree, hmm. I think would be would be fun with the little time we have left. So he could also go forward in the future. What is one? Where would you go in your life to be like, I wonder how this or where this is? I'm not entirely sure, but I think it involves my kids. Yeah, I think I'd like to see them become fathers. Mm, that's that, a good would be, one. that would be really cool. I think I'd like to see. Like what they choose to give their life toward, like their life's passion, like mm-hmm. what, you know, like, you know, they're so young now. Anytime Owen shows any interest in anything, I'm like, oh, my gosh, he's going to be an engineer. I'm like, he's not even two yet. I'm he's like, building Legos. Honestly, like the things that all kids do, I'm like, he's a genius. He's counting already. Like, there's just things that you want to, you can't help but sort of superimpose. And that'd be really fun to see. Oh, man. That, yeah. that little talent, that little interest actually did become. I'm kind of the same way. I think it, a little bit of it's like, man, I'd love to get to Lord willing if, you know, you live this long. Be like, see what my wife and I are like at like 65. Like, how is this mm. all played out? But also like. 
you could picture being at your kid's wedding day or being seeing something to see how they turned out. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah, I think you're totally right. Back to the future. Now I want to watch the movie again. You should. I do. You should watch been the a long documentaries, time. too. They're, it's been they're, a long time. I think you'll really appreciate it. All right, so here's what I want to talk about next. Uh, millennials appear to have become the first generation to be majority non-Christian. Mm. What are the implications? You and I are pastors. We both work at churches. What do, what do we do with that? That's all coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Pastor Wright Reverend Dr. Brian Fromm in the His House. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com, slash The Common Good, or wherever it is you get podcasts. And any amounts of likes or subscribes or reviews or any of those things, they actually really do help us out. So if you're feeling so inclined, uh, we would really appreciate that. I, uh, I talked about it briefly before the break. In the U.S., decline of Christianity continues at a rapid pace. An update on America's changing religious landscape. Why don't you fill us in a little bit, Brian, on what's going on here? Yeah, we've seen some of these stats, but these are really staggering. I'm just uh-huh. staring at this chart right now uh, from uh, from the Pew Research Center right, and right. going, okay, these are interesting. I'm trying to digest them because what's really interesting to me is the generation gaps here. Uh, So they go percentage of adults who identify as dot, 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 and they go Christian, non-Christian faith or unaffiliated. Those are your three options. Okay. So I didn't know it's called the silent generation, but 1928 to 1945, Mm -hmm. apparently called the silent generation, 84% go Christian. Wow. Which leaves you with 14%. uh, Those numbers don't add up, but um, there must be some other ones. But 4% non-Christian faith, 10% unaffiliated. When you jump down baby boomer, 76% Christian. Generation X, which I fall into, 67% Christian. Here they give millennials 1981 to 1996 birth dates. It's 49% Christian, 9% non-Christian faith, 40% unaffiliated. Uh, And so what they're saying is now there's another 2% out there to swing the scales. And they're saying... This now, we've got our first generation where Christian is the minority. Not by a lot, Hmm. but where it's a minority. Then there's a second graph that talks about how often they attend religious services. Hmm. Again, uh, if you go, if you add up the totals that are either weekly or once or twice a month for the silent generation, 1928 to 1945, it's 60%. For the baby boomers, it's 49%. For Generation X, it's 46%. You get to the millennials, it's 35%. No kidding. Only 35% of them are saying, I go to a worship, a religious service even once or twice a month, let alone uh, weekly or more. And so you put these against each other and you go, wow, we really do have changing dramatically uh, the demographics. And both trends are going in the same direction, which makes you ask the question about the next generation and the next generation. What does this mean for the church? What does this mean for faith? What does this mean for our country? Uh, it brings up a lot of questions. But this data, uh, especially from a place like Pew Research, this data is pretty fascinating. Yeah, let me just read a little bit from the article. It says, the religious landscape of the United States continues to change at a rapid clip. And I would imagine most people are aware of that. In Pew Research Center telephone surveys conducted in 2018 and 2019, 65% of American adults described themselves as Christians when asked about their religion. That's down 12 percentage points 
from over a decade. Uh, meanwhile, the religiously unaffiliated share of the population, consisting of people who describe their religious identity as atheist, agnostic, or nothing in particular, now stands at 26%, up from 17% wow. in 2009. Both Protestantism and Catholicism are experiencing losses of population share. Currently, 43% of U.S. adults identify with Protestantism, down from 51% in 2009, and one in five adults, 20%, are Catholic, down from 23% in 2009. Meanwhile, all subsets of the religiously unaffiliated population, a group also known as religious nuns, mm-hmm. N-O-N-E-S, have seen their numbers swell. Self-described atheists now account for 4% of U.S. adults, up modestly but significantly from 2% in 2009. Agnostics make up 5% of U.S. adults, up from 3% a decade ago. And 17% of Americans now describe their religion as nothing in particular, up from 12% in 2009. Mm. Members of non-Christian religion, uh, religions also have grown modestly as a share of the adult population. So, yeah. does that surprise you? You're, I mean, you're kind We've of in it, right? have heard enough of it now. Right. If, you, if I hadn't been seeing these articles, this would surprise me. Or if you weren't a pastor or had yep. interest in this yep. information, I guess. Because we live at, you know... Uh, our interactions are highly uh, Christian, but I am, you know what, to be honest with you, when I look at like uh, a lot of my kids' friends and their families, like mm. their parents, we aren't millennials, obviously. Right. Uh, I'm always struck by how many of them uh, aren't in any kind of meaningful connection to a church. Mm. Uh, and, uh, you know, they'll give all sorts of different reasons. Right. We have stuff on Sundays now. We. But you could tell there's this underlying, really what the answer is, like, I don't see the value in it. I don't see the importance. Right. Um, <coughs> excuse me. But there there are a lot of, uh, I would guess, reasons for this. Um, but it also is, it's interesting. It, the real interesting question here is, A, what is causing this decline? Right. And B... How, if at all, or does this get turned around? So why don't you jump on the first one first? What do you think's really at the heart of this decline? Um, I was going to ask you that question, and I was not prepared to answer. Let me think. So, all right, a couple of things. One, uh, I think the rise of some of the blatant uh, moral failings and hypocrisy, mm. which is not new, yep, and not even necessarily an excuse, maybe, <laughs> but I totally get it. When my non-Christian friends are like, see... That's why I don't go or that's why I don't believe. I'm yep. like, yep, I totally understand. I think that is unfortunate. Yes, I do. That too. like their faith hangs in the balance of, you know, by some definitions, some pretty faulty people. Yeah, because we're all faulty. And I'm not, you know, just saying that as a catch all there. Yep. That's not really the invitation of Christianity is to fully believe totally and entirely in the integrity of one person at the top of a food chain. Yeah, but I, I think that's part of it. I think uh, historically. And I mean, like centuries ago, the church seemed to have a better finger on the pulse of like true boots on the ground, care for the needy and the poor and, and was a place and a safe haven and a sanctuary and was in a lot mm-hmm. of ways kind of the central hub of both uh, intellectual rhetoric, but also like culture, like the church just mm-hmm. existed in a very different geographic space than yeah. I think it does in most places now. And again, I hear, I know someone's listening and they're like, oh, but what about this church or this movement? I totally get that there's plenty of exceptions to yes. this rule. I just think based on my conversation with people, those two things tend to really stand out. Yeah, I think you're right about that. I think there is a lot about uh, the inter um, the interconnectedness of the church of America and particularly evangelicalism with politics. I think if you're not of that political persuasion, then you don't want to be part of that church persuasion. Right. Um, That's a big part. And I... You know, as I as I move the question to what turns this around, 
uh, I, I think prayer for the Holy Spirit to bring about revival is a great place to start. Um, but uh, I think it probably goes to the same way of a of churches kind of rolling up their sleeves and being like, how do we get past kind of where we've been of like, let's try to get people into our space. Let's try to do this. Let's just how do we get out into the community and again, help the community see that as Christ followers, there is a difference mm-hmm. uh, and we are wanting, we are for you and wanting to make a difference in our, in your community, in our community, sorry, uh, kind of this whole, uh, what's it like to be missional? Cause I don't, I don't think, I think there are answers in changing the way we do church, but I don't think that's the answer. Mm. I think there's going to be a lot of different ways we do church. I think it's more the heart behind it. That I don't think people are sitting out there going, man, if that, if that sermon was just shorter, like I'd be a part of a church. Yeah. There are some people, I do, don't get me wrong. I don't think that that's not part of the answer. I don't think that's the only answer. And I don't think it's as shallow as shorter or longer. I'm just I, throwing that I, out. I yeah. think historically, I think there is a, a kind of a hyper obsession with just sort of like application based teaching. I think millennials and Z's are, are realizing that's not actually leading to whole life transformation formation, just yeah. these like three takeaways, see you next week. I think they're becoming more and more understandably uh, unimpressed by that. And I think what you were saying, I think uh, the cross and the flag holding hands, man, I think that that is a really, really dangerous thing. And we're seeing more and more of that. And so I wonder, Mm. apart from some kind of massive schism, like is this a thing that you can tweak your way out of? Or does this take like a a neo-reformation? Does it it take something that sweeping or that jarring for the church to really kind of turn this around i mm, i do feel like when it comes to the church and politics right now i do feel like there's a little bit of reformation needed like i do feel like there's no small tweak to that right and i think it's possible because i know you and i both know a lot of people ourselves included who don't want who don't like that tie-in right whether it's to the republican party which is what it normally is but there's also churches tied deeply Uh with the democratic party but that tie-in of nationalism and political nature and the church, I do think there's no small way out of it. I think there's mm. got to be something dramatic, and I'm interested to see if if that ever takes place. Do you think it ever will? I think. In our lifetime? I hope. I'm hopeful because I do hear enough people who are tired of it who want something different for the church. It's just a matter of what does it actually look like systematically. It might take more generations than you and I are around for. Yeah, you're probably right. I don't right. know, but I think I at least hear a groundswell of people who want to have that conversation. Yeah, I do too. I, against sometimes my better judgment, I'm hopeful. Yeah, there you go. You <laughs> okay. and I both tend to be optimists. Yeah, right. So. All right, let's 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 shake this whole show off. Just do shake it. it off. We're going to land the plane the way that we always do, just with some interweb insanity, stories from the internet that our producers have found. We have not seen them. Associated with sound effects that we have not heard. And so we're going to laugh and cry right along with you. Coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Hey there, lads and ladies. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simkins along with Brian Fromm. And if you've been with us for any length of time, almost since the genesis of the show. Week two or week three. I think you're right. We end just with some interweb insanity stuff that... uh, well, sometimes it's just a little bit insane. Sometimes it's a little dark. Sometimes it's a little melancholy. Sometimes it's feel good. But we read them sight unseen. And then there's sound effects that we have not heard. We experience all of it right along with you. And uh, please don't turn off your radio just yet. Okay, Brian Fromm, take it, take it away. 
Ah, oh, New Jersey. Yeah, the home you, state. You love Jersey. The home state. Taco Bell sued by New Jersey couple over $2.18 dispute over Chalupa Cravings boxes. <laughs> that sounds about right. A dispute over a $2.18 at Taco Bell literally has become a federal case. Oh, gosh. Nelson Estrella Rojas and his wife, Joanne, of Middlesex Borough are suing Taco Bell and its parent company, Yum Brands. I didn't know Taco Bell's parent I company was called the Yum Brand. Also did not know that. Which also owns KFC and Pizza Hut because they were charged $12.18 for two Chalupa Cravings boxes, which they say were advertised for $5 a piece. <laughs> In May of 2018, the lawsuit says the couple saw Taco Bell's librarian TV commercial for the $5 boxes and decided to drive to get some. Uh, the deal included a Chalupa Supreme, five-layer burrito, crunchy taco, cinnamon twist, and a medium drink. They were charged $12.99, which included 81 cents of sales tax. The couple then questioned management why they were charged $12.18 for two $5 boxes. And the lawsuits alleges that they were told that Taco Bell did not have to charge what was advertised because there was legal fine print at the end of the commercial. <laughs> did these sound like the actions of a man who had... All he could eat. <laughs> that could have been me. Oh, that's, that's that's a pretty, pretty solid one. one. To go to the lengths of it, we're going to sue them. That's crazy. You almost got to admire it, but no. Mm. <laughs> All right, Haiti. Woman who stood on ship's railing for selfie barred for life from cruise line. <laughs> that is terrible. I'm just like picturing it. That's already giving me anxiety. A woman who uh, was removed from a cruise ship and banned for life by the cruise company after she climbed onto her room's balcony railing to pose for a dangerous photo shoot over the ocean. The incident happened on board the Royal Caribbean ship Allure of the Seas as it was approaching Labadee, Haiti. Uh, earlier this week, the unnamed woman was spotted by a fellow passenger, Peter Blasik, who alerted the crew. While on my balcony, I saw the woman climb her on her railing. It happened so quickly, not knowing what her intentions were. I alerted the crew. If I said nothing, she was going to jump, and that would have been horrible. Blasik later posted a picture of the woman wearing a blue bathing suit with hands over her head on social media. That's good. Fun fact, never seen that movie. Oh, it's good. I like Titanic. He I seemed like more excited about Titanic than Back to the Future. No, 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 no. Did you I, would choose, voice, I would choose Back to the Future over Titanic, <laughs> but I, although I got to be honest, Titanic came out right in the, I'm, I'm guessing the year is like right in the uh, sweet spot for when my wife and I were dating. Oh, so it holds a special place yes, in your heart? All right. Yes, it does. I'll allow it. Pennsylvania. Substitute teacher accused of showing up to elementary school heavily intoxicated. Yikes. Some elementary school parents are shocked after a substitute uh, teacher is accused of showing up to Chester County School drunk. According to the Yuklon Township Police <laughs> Department, the incident happened Thursday at Lionville Elementary School. Initial reports from the school say the teacher was on school campus, possibly intoxicated and creating a disturbance. Oh, no. Arriving officers went to the classroom to speak with her and determined that she was heavily intoxicated. The substitute teacher was removed from school and treated for a possible alcohol overdose. Oh, God. She now faces several criminal charges. Newsflash. You can't drink and then come to work. You're not airline pilots. Why would you not just call in sick? She's a substitute teacher. She comes in for those that did call in sick. Oh, I totally missed that part. Why yep. would you accept that call? Because she needs to buy insane. more beer. Yeah, apparently. All right. New York State deer crashes through both backseat windows of a moving car. Ooh. A New York State man received a shock while driving when a deer crashed through a backseat window and promptly crashed back out the opposite window. Roger Johnston, a photographer and proprietor of Captured Moments with the Z, Photography in Rome. <laughs> 
Just want to make sure everyone knew. Said he was driving when the doe crashed through the backseat window of his Kia Optima while he was going about 50 miles an hour. Wow. Nobody can believe it. I can hardly believe it myself. He told NYUp.com. I saw the deer coming at me from the driver's side and leap. Next I knew, I heard a loud crash. I stopped and there was glass and fur everywhere in my backseat. No blood, just glass and fur. It went right through both windows. It didn't touch the car doors. Doe! A deer! A female mm-hmm. deer. Mm-hmm. I thought that it's was a classic. Weird. Yep. That's crazy. That's uh, where I grew up. We used to hit deer all the time, and it was like that. They like could do damage. Nope, nope. Oh. With your car, with your car. Okay, last one. Louisiana Pentagon scraps obsolete floppy disk system controlling U.S. nuclear arsenal. What? America's nuclear arsenal will no longer rely on floppy disks. Wait. The Pentagon has finally scrapped a disco-era missile launch system that relied on ancient IBM Series 1 computers and floppy disks. What? Largely because young tech-savvy whippersnappers didn't know how to maintain <laughs> the prehistoric devices. The Strategic Automated Command and Control System, which is run by the Air Force, dumped the floppy for a, quote, highly secure solid-state digital storage solution system Yeah. three years after the U.S. <laughs> Government Accountability Office called the system increasingly obsolete. The older system was in place since Gerald Ford was in the White House in the mid-1970s and relied on a computer language initially used in the 1950s. Shall we play a game? <laughs> I feel like that one was led by the soundbite. The soundbite came first and I just had to find a story to fit it. Floppy disks. That's bonkers to me. It's I don't crazy. even know. You know, they have the, si- the save icon on like Word docs. Yes. Most students don't even know what that is anymore. Nope. They have no idea what that is. They think it's the save icon. It's those young whippersnappers. <laughs> I like the use of whippersnapper there. <laughs> Same. Well, we had a lot of fun. Hopefully you did good too. Day. Hopefully you'll join us tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.